Good morning, Koinonia Okotoks youth. Thank you for joining us as we go through our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. Hold on folly till I might see 
what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. So, the first question in regard to this leg of the journey is entertainment. How can we find, or can he find, meaning in entertainment? Now, when you guys are young, when you're youth, I don't expect you guys to be dealing with crazy difficult problems or crazy unhealthy habits like alcoholism, drug addiction, and anything along those lines. Now, that, with that being said, I don't want to say that you don't deal with problems. Because we all deal with problems in one way or another. Now Solomon here, though, is having this mindset that, that says... Let's try anything. Right? In the first verse here, it's here he basically summarizes his findings, saying, Come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this also is vanity. Can, uh, basically, what mirth is, is joy, gladness, or rejoicing. Right? So he is summarizing this attempt to find meaning through enjoyment, entertainment, pleasure, again saying it was vanity. Let's now look into what he did to find this meaning for any entertainment. No, quickly, the world is all about finding pleasure, right? Or they're all about finding meaning, or, or they're about finding entertainment by many different means. Right. Some of the different things that you guys may seek to find entertainment would be probably like what? Video games, uh, sports, stuff like that, right? Uh, friends going on, riding scooters. Um, other things that I, I doubt you guys are into, but it's like parties, drinking, drugs, and traveling around. Right? Like, this world seems to have an endless need to find entertainment. Like, with phones, remember what I talked about last week? Like, you have the world at the tip of your fingertips. You can have anything with these phones. Any knowledge you want, you can find it. Right? Any different pleasure, you can find it. But all these really do is help us ignore the real question of, why life? Why do we live this life? All these things really do is numb the pain. Okay. Solomon says in verse 2, I sit of laughter, madness, and of mirth. What does it accomplish? He tested his theory and lived for pleasure. And it came to this conclusion, it was madness questioning what it accomplished. Like David Guzik put it this way, Solomon tested the life lived for laughter, pleasure, and fun. Like a modern celebrity, he ran from party to party, entertainment to entertainment, and at the end of it all, he judged it to be madness and without accomplishment. Like we, we see the way this world is going. Simply, 
is going the way of madness without accomplish, uh, well, without accomplishment. Solomon is saying that if there was no God, then you can party and have all the fun you want. Because it's not going to accomplish anything, but what does it matter anyways? Life is meaningless at the end of the day. Right? Now, that's not the mindset we should be having. As believers, that's not our mindset. Life isn't meaningless. And I've said this many, many times already through the quick two other messages I've taught in Ecclesiastes. We have a hope. And this de world desperately needs this hope that we have in us. So our mindset should not be the same, that this is meaningless. We should be living with this hope that's inside of us. Now, I know this next part here, quickly, is going to show my age a bit. I doubt that it's still a saying. But do you guys know what YOLO is? Like the saying, it's called, you only live once. Well, the world looks at it, the world says, YOLO. Right? You only live once. So, let's go out and live now and find pleasure because this life is it. So... Let's go have fun. Now, we as believers can also say this, but we shouldn't be saying it the same way. We only live once, and then eternity is upon us. How are we living now? Can others see a difference in us, or are we the same as the world? Is this hope shining through? Are we being that light? I want to tell you guys this. If the world can't see the difference in us, then the hope we have will make no difference. Now it says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now I'm not saying that we can't find entertainment. Right? I'm not saying that we can't go out and be entertained or go have a good time, find some joy, have some fun. Just like I meant to point out last week, that wisdom isn't always a bad thing. But these things cannot have, we cannot be placing our meaning in them. We shouldn't be placing our meaning in the world, in entertainment, in wisdom. We serve God and should be putting Him above everything. Now, just to go along with like an example quickly, just think about it. What did we go out and do on Friday? Was it a boring time? We got to go out and be crazy, weird people, running up and down the uh, Elizabeth Street in Okotoks, doing this crazy scavenger hunt for youth. It was a blast. We can still have fun. We have to have the right focus. Life is not to find meaning in the world. God should be above it. So Solomon searched in his heart to gratify his flesh while still trying to be wise. He wanted to see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven if this life was it. 
I really love pulling from what Solomon himself says in his earlier years when he wrote the book of Proverbs. Because it kind of shows us where he was and how far he's come. And how far he comes is not in a good way. He said in Proverbs 14, 13, Even in laughter my heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth may be grief. He starts to gratify his, gratify himself, gratify the flesh. He couldn't look past this grief and sorrow and see the wisdom that he had been given and how it could have been used for God. He needed to seek to find meaning apart from God, which is madness and folly. Next, we get to see, as we move on here, uh, meaning brought by works. As it says in uh, verses 4 through 8, I made my, great, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to, uh, to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered myself silver and gold and special treasures of the kings, and of the provinces, I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and the musical and musical instruments of all kind. So, I want to split the uh, this into three different aspects of working to find meaning, or meaning through work. The first one is work, or great works. The second one is workers, and lastly, it's wealth. Now, the first is great works. It says time and time again in verses 4 through 6, I made myself. He was putting an emphasis on what he could do. Remembering, remember, this is all from the perspective of there being no God. When you live from this perspective, you are building for really no reason but yourself. This life is it. So you live now and build, work, gather, and have all the fun doing so because there is nothing after this. He was trying to find meaning in making great works. And when you look at these great works, it truly is incredible what he made. I personally wish I could have gone back and seen it. Because the passage really doesn't go into like how grand this was. Right? He built houses, he planted vineyards, he made gardens and orchards and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. He made massive pools of water to water these groves of trees, to water basically forests. The thing is, this was all solely for Solomon. This was no public park. This wasn't like, hey guys, let's take a trip up to Banff. Banff National Park, we're going to go through, 
we're going to take a hike up here. We're going to stop here and take a, a picture of this landmark. This was a private park, meaning no one was allowed in. This was solely Solomon. A commentator by the name of Derek Kidner put it this way. He creates a little world within a world. Multiform and harmonious, exquisite. A secular garden of Eden, full of civilized and agreeably uncivilized delights with no forbidden fruit. You compare this idea that he made himself a secular garden of Eden to the actual garden, and you see that, see that the difference is that there is no God. God's removed from the equation again. God was with Adam in the garden, but he wasn't with Solomon in the garden. The next aspect we see is the workers in verse 7. He had many servants. Not only that, he had servants born in his house. Solomon's servants were his own people. These people would be conscripted to build all of these projects. Now I want to compare Solomon to his father David. David, when he needed projects to, uh, needed to get projects done, or wanted to get some projects done, he would get he would never conscript his own people to do so. He would always get the strangers in the land. It says this in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 2. So David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel. And he appointed masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. You couldn't say the same with Solomon. Solomon conscripted his own people. It says... In, in 1 Kings 5, 13 through 18, then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel. And the labor force was 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoram was in charge of the labor force. Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens, and 80,000 who quarried stones in the mountains, besides 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies, who supervised the people who labored in the work. The king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones, to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and the Jebulites quarried them, and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. Solomon, in this search for meaning, caused his own people to hate him. This work may have brought him some joy, but it certainly wasn't this true joy or the meaning he was looking for. Lastly, we get to see that he accumulated great wealth in these works. It says that he had many herds and flocks. He gathered silver and gold and special treasures of the king and the provinces. 
this meaning he was trying to this meaning he was trying to find here we see won't be found and even if he did find it where would it lead him what can riches bring us but temporary pleasure where's we put it this way he was the wealthiest and wisest man in the whole world yet he was unhappy because activity alone does not bring lasting pleasure what he did was find a way to numb this pain he found a way to throw it in the back seat for a fleeting moment and as we move on here to the last point we will see his conclusion of the matter it says in uh, verses 9 through 11, So I became great and excelled more than all who were in Jerusalem before me. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did, with, did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward for my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed it was all vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Solomon comes to his conclusion for this leg of the journey, saying he became great and excelled while keeping his wisdom. Now it is true that he became great. Just think about all the gardens and the forests to the riches and the great possessions that he had, all that he built or gathered brought him all the meaning and fame, uh, all the meaning that fame could bring. We discovered that this was temporary pleasure. We see that Solomon also comes to this conclusion. He goes on to state how he withheld nothing from his eyes. Whatever he desired, he did or got. He held nothing back in this search. As we look through the first point this morning, we saw his search for meaning through entertainment. And I'm sure that everything was not written down. Because everything that's written there is not everything that you could search for meaning in this world. So there's definitely more that was hasn't been written. But we as believers are told that we are to not love the world as Solomon was loving it. It says in 1 John 2, 15-17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. If we say we love God, then we shouldn't be doing as Solomon did. Right? We shouldn't love the world or try to find meaning in what is passing away. We shouldn't be going on this search to find meaning through the world through entertainment. 
we have this love of the Father as we have the love of the world. Right? He then went on to say that his heart rejoiced in his labor. And that the pleasure was a reward for all the labor that he had done. We learn in the second point that Solomon built and gathered great things. And in all the labor, he looked at this pleasure. The world, in this passing world, was a reward. You know, you could... It's like the guys who go, uh, they work five days a week, right? And they work and work and work and get all this money gathered up so that they can go out and spend it. They labor so that they can use that labor and, the, and, and say the pleasure is the reward for all the labor they did. This world is not the reward. You labor and labor, and if you are using the world as a reward, you labor in vain. This world is passing away. Don't put your pleasure in the world. It's temporary. And then through all of this, we came to realize that it also was vanity and grassiness through the wind. When, we, when he actually looked at what he had accomplished, he realized it meant nothing. All the labor and all the pleasure was in vain because there's no profit under the sun. Now, I'm not trying to condemn work. I work for a living, right? There is benefit in working. I can work so that I can pay for my mortgage, pay for my wife, pay for my dog, right? Pay for my car, phone bills, all these bills, right? Right? And you guys go to school and you work and work so you can get a good education. So he's not trying to condemn work, and neither am I. What we're trying to say is that you shouldn't be putting your meaning in this work, in world, in pleasure, in finding, in like, in this at all. Right? Solomon said many times throughout the book of Proverbs uh, that he exalts, that, that diligence is exalted and laziness is condemned. We as believers can give glory to God when we commit ourselves an honest day's work. Warren Wiersbe put it this way, work alone cannot satisfy the human heart, no matter how successful that work may be. We see this world that is committing themselves to the American dream, to this idea of making a, uh, a to this goal of making something. But what happens when they complete their goal? Do they feel accomplished? Usually. They do for a, for a temporary point of time. And then they're off to find that next new thing. Just like we learned, we're in a cycle. We quickly move on to the next new thing. We move from new thing to new thing to new thing, and everything gets old. Once you finish that goal that you worked so hard for, you now have to find the next new goal. We will find no lasting meaning 
in entertainment, in work, in this world. That is only found in God. So in conclusion, I know that we kind of already did a bit of a conclusion this morning. Well, uh, we'll go into that last point. But I want to remind you guys, as we finish here, that YOLO. You only live once, right? But we don't need it. We should not be looking at it as the world looks at it. We only live once, so are we giving God the glory for everything we do? Or are we seeking entertainment in video games and sports, maybe in school to get the best grades, putting all your meaning in education? None of this is inherently wrong as long as you don't put your meaning in it. And then lastly, we have hope, right? But if this world can't see the difference in us, then what? Then this hope will make no difference. Don't put your meaning in this world. Put your meaning in the hope you have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this book, Lord, and everything that we're learning through it, Lord, and everything you're teaching me. Lord, I just pray that we put our faith in you, that we put our trust in you, Lord, that we really find our meaning in you. This world is passing away, and the pleasures that it has are temporary, but the pleasure you give is eternal. The meaning you have is eternal. Help us to remind, remind us of that daily, Lord. Help the youth here, Lord, as they go in school, help them to be a light. 